Oh, yes. This is the Hardcore Marketing Show. I'm Casey Cheshire, your host for this epic journey. And today's show, sponsored by Cheshire Impact, on a mission to help people maximize their use of Pardot and Salesforce. CheshireImpact.com. Bam. And there it is. Booyah. We're about to have some fun. I'm stoked. And sometimes on those initial calls, you just know you're about to talk to someone you're going to have a blast with. You're going to learn a lot from and just have a one hell of a time. That is happening right here on this episode. Who is the guest? Who is the star of today's show? Well, she has more than 15 years of marketing and sales experience. B2B, B2C, B2B to B2C, all the things. I can't wait to get into all of these things. Host of the Real Marketers podcast, closing in on 100 episodes of goodness. What's more, she is also a member of the Revenue Collective, VP of Sales and Marketing at Lumivate, Stephanie Cox. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah, let's do this. Yeah, it's always weird when someone like tells you about, like reads your intro and I'm like, oh. You know, a few people have been known Rumor has it to take my intros and make it their wake up alarm clock. You know, oh, like you wake up in the morning, Casey's like, What's more? This person is so and so. Yeah, totally. Let's do this. Let's do that. So, I got to pass you something because I I know you're ready to come out guns blazing. You've got that baseball bat poison ready, but I've got Mm -hmm. something else for you instead. This is even more powerful. Here you go. Okay. Oh, here you go. Thor's hammer. Grab that thing. Boom. Got it? Okay. There you go. Yep. You got it. Take Thor's hammer and smash for me some kind of marketing myth, bogus strategy, misconception. Set the record straight once and for all. So this is my current rant of the probably 2021. And it's that marketing can't lead sales and it's complete bullshit. Complete bullshit. You heard it here on the hardcore marketing show. Tell me marketing can lead sales. They can lead sales. And so there's a couple of reasons why, and I really would bucket it into three. So number one, the great marketers and not, and let's be honest, there aren't, not everyone's a great marketer, but great marketers in B2B, especially have always been connected to sales. They've always been writing along, right? You've always been listening to sales calls. You've been participating in sales calls. You know, the pipeline just as well as the sales team does. So if you have been doing great marketing, you've already been part of the sales team, even though you didn't carry a bag. Right. So this whole idea that marketing doesn't understand sales, it's not true if you've been doing it the right way. Now, there are lots of people that haven't. So I can't speak for them. But like for me, my entire career, I've been really like tight with sales always. And part of that, yeah, well, because if you think about it, right, like my job when I started out in my career was in marketing and marketing is all about making the life of sales easier, right? Getting people into the funnel, regardless of what your funnel is. If it's sales-led, product-led, marketing-led, it doesn't really matter. And if you don't make the life of sales easier, then you're not doing your job. And then sales doesn't like you and you have that like misalignment problem. So I've always found if I wanna make sales their life easier and I wanna be really good at my job, I need to understand what their job is. (laughs) I need to understand what their pain is, right? And if you walk a mile in someone else's shoe and you walk along with them, like you have a lot better understanding of it. And you also can figure out how to help them better. And then they also have a lot more respect for you, right? Because they know you're actually like a partner. So that to me is like something I've always done. 
and not in this way that's like, oh, like, well, sales wants a case study. So I wrote them a case study. No, like I am always asking and I have for a long time, what else can I do to help? Like, here's yeah. a couple of ideas I have to help you close this deal. Like I, you know, even at my time at Lumivate, I've been here four years and I took over sales about 18 months ago. But before that, I knew our pipeline just as well as our VP of sales done. Like I knew where every deal was, what was going on and what, and I had ideas of how we could help move it forward. Really? And that's what I think. Yeah. Because that's what good B2B marketers should be doing. And if you're Damn. doing that, you taking over sales at some point doesn't seem like such far like a stretch, right? And on the flip side, everyone goes, oh, well, I mean, sales could lead marketing. Maybe they could, right? And I see it happen all the time, but why not the inverse? Yeah. And why not the, why not the flip? Why not the reverse? And exactly. Yeah. And, and the, and we're not saying every marketer could run sales. There's certain conditions yeah. and you got in one of them is you got to understand sales. Yes. So, and I think the second one is you have to own the number. And when I say like own a number, I don't mean like you owned a lead number, which is a separate rant we can get into later, yeah. like, but you have to have owned a pipeline number. So you've had to commit yourself to some sort of revenue related number. And whether that's, you know, you're in B2C and it's actual like dollars that from like e-commerce as an example, or channel sales, or if you're in B2B and you're owning a pipeline number, but you have to commit to a number. And I will tell you like the hardest part about sales and leading sales is is the number yeah. that's the hardest part right because it is constantly hanging over your head and i always tell people you know there's like a big rush at the end of quarter especially in b2b but you know what happens on april 1st it starts all over again and no one cares what you did last quarter right so if you've been in that like environment before it doesn't phase you when you like own quota right I've always owned pipeline numbers for a long time in my career. So owning the overall revenue number for the company didn't scare me. I was used to it. Wow. Now, if you've only owned lead numbers or, you know, like meetings or some other bullshit, right? That's probably going to freak you out. But at the end of the day, it, you probably need to look at what you're doing from a marketing perspective anyways and what KPIs you own. Didn't scare you to own total revenue for the company are you no. crazy or are you just yes. yes a little bit of both probably right yeah well because here's the thing i find that people that love what they do mm -hmm. right like is it crazy to own the number yes because in some like perspectives i own the sales number which means the health of the company kind of lives or dies with me and my team and that's a lot of pressure but when you have the experience and you hire the right talent, it becomes not pr pressure, but a challenge and a fun challenge to solve. Right. And yes, is it frustrating? Is it frustrating? Like, I'll give you a, a story, right? So here's an yeah. example. I have been the marketer and I like hate myself now for this, that has gotten the contract and has sat on it for like seven days and DocuSign and not signed it. Not because I don't plan on signing it because I just not a priority. Right. We've all done that with vendors. When you're on the flip side, it sucks. Oh, totally. I did that to DocuSign recently. They're like, you gonna renew? I'm like, did you increase this on me? They're like, maybe. And <laughs> they didn't say maybe, but I think they said yes. And I was like, well, I'm not gonna sign it. And they're like, cool, it auto renews anyways, but please sign it. But I just sat on it. I just sat on it. Right? 
And I've been that person. And then yeah. like the first time it happened to me, like when I was leading sales and we were like down to like, it was at the end of the first quarter and we were short like $3,000, like something super ridiculous. And we had stuff out and DocuSign for it. And I was just like, why won't they sign it? Like, I hate these people. Why won't they do this? Seriously. And I'm like, oh sh shit, I was this person. Yeah. Right. So now I try really, really hard. As soon as I say like a verbal yes to a vendor, like I, as soon as the DocuSign hits, almost always, as long as I'm, there's not something crazy going on, I try and sign it right away because mm. I don't want to be that person. So marketers out there, don't be that person. <laughs> so don't be that person. Yeah. I mean, do one to others. Right. But also understanding what it, but even knowing that you were that person, you can think about like, well, it just wasn't a priority or just my inbox. You know, there's a couple other things above it. It just, it got pushed to the bottom. There's exactly. All, all kinds of reasons. And then it's not even on purpose. Sometimes it just, it really isn't. Yeah. It's just, you're not on fire right now. But I love that you flip something, you know, because the idea of, oh, it doesn't scare you. But it's because you flipped it from being this like giant mm -hmm. weight over you. Mm -hmm. It's like people like, oh, it's either the, it's either home mortgage or the fact that you have a home. Right. It's yeah. one of the, I mean, it is both, but it's like, how are you going to look at it? Glass out full mm -hmm. half it. And you're like, it's a challenge, especially if you have the mm -hmm. right mentioned the right experience and the right people the right team in yeah. place man it's like let's go this is a challenge let's climb this mountain it's fun yeah right like that's the thing Ooh. i think sometimes people think about sales or just you know work in general like if you love what you do it's kind of like getting paid to do your hobby right yeah. and that's how life is for me and I'm, i know i'm very blessed in that retrospect not everyone has that opportunity but if you love what you do it's it's a lot of fun it's hard but it's a lot of fun and then I think the third thing I would tell you that why marketing can lead sales is about leadership. And this applies really to anything, but leadership is all about hiring the right talent and getting the hell out of their way, right? I think sometimes people think, well, in order to lead someone, you have to have done their job. Well, yes, that can be helpful, especially with younger talent. When you're trying to train them, it's helpful if you understand what they're they need to do and you can teach them. Mm -hmm. But if you're really leading more senior talent, which is what a lot of sales leaders do, like you don't need to teach them how to do sales. They've done it a long time. They're really good at it. Otherwise you shouldn't have hired them, right? And so your job is all about hiring the right people and removing obstacles, helping them out. How can I help you, right? So I always tell my team in our one-on-ones, the one-on-one is not my agenda. It's your agenda. You tell me what you need from me. How can I help you? And I think that's really important for any type of leader, but especially when you take over sales, right? How can they, how can you use me to help you move a deal along? Yes. Is, you know, is an email for me, a call for me, a video for me, what will help move it to the next step? Boom. The one-on-one -on -one is your agenda. How, what kind of obstacles can I, can I get out of your way? Love the idea of just hiring really good people and then not micromanaging the hell out of them. Just right let them fly. Well, and that's what I think a lot of people and a lot of sales leaders do honestly, is they're like managing to activities. And it's such an old school way of thinking about like, how many calls did you make? How many emails did you send? I mean, yes, but at the end of the day, if you hire adults, treat them like adults, they don't need to be managed mm. that way. They need to be managed to what they're and really helped to achieve their objectives and what their goals are. So if I know what you're like as a sales executive, if I know what, you know, some of my team's quota is, that's what I hold them accountable to. I don't hold them accountable to how many meetings they had, how many calls they had, et cetera, because 
I hire talented people and I know that they can do this job. Now, if they don't hit their quota, right? Like that's when we might have conversations around how do we start to think about like what went wrong or what could we have done differently? Or are we doing the right type of stuff to get us where we need to go? But for the most part, if you tell people what success looks like and you empower them, they're gonna work really hard for you. And they want effort. I think by nature, people wanna be successful. No one wants to fail. Man, you're just a walking quote. That That's like a mic drop. You should do the hammer drop moment there. Yeah. Tell them what success is like, empower them to get it. Just get out of their way. Get on the nest. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, do you ever look at, cause this is kind of cool. Let's say I'm a marketer and mm-hmm. I've done sales. Uh, that's it. I, I, back to the number one, even you yeah. understand them. And you said, you don't necessarily always have to carry a bag as you don't need to always have to have been a quota carrying sales rep to manage mm-hmm. sales. Have you ever done sales? No, well, not myself, like proper, no, I, feels proper or whatever. Not, yeah, not proper. Like I've never been a quota carrying like account executive now, but I've always rode along. Even for like my first job, I remember, gosh, like I had been there maybe a year and fresh out of college, right? And looking back, I'm like the stuff that they let me do, holy crap. Yeah. Were they crazy? Like the stuff that they were letting me do, it was kind of crazy. But I was really good at storytelling, which okay. I think is what... It, is a, important for marketers, but also really important for sales. And so we used, we were going after these whales and so this whole idea around whale hunting. And one of our senior VPs for strategic accounts was putting together these like, kind of like this little main task force of teams that would go whale hunting. And she picked me to be on our team. And I was like, well, this feels like a mistake. <laughs> I'm like 23. I have like no idea what I'm doing. Jeez. And what I realized is I'm really good at storytelling and I'm really good at helping like convey like a, back in the day, right? Like PowerPoint, death by PowerPoint, like tell a story via slides. And from then on, that's what I've always done. I've always tried to partner myself with sales. So like, I don't mind being on sales calls. I actually asked to be on sales calls. I want to listen in. And this is back in the day before we're like recording your calls was a thing, which is so easy to do now. But I always would do that. Um, I remember I was at Ingersoll Rand and this was a stint I had in B2C and B2B2C. We were selling home automation through like Lowe's, Home Depot, et cetera. We also sold it to large builders like Lennar, Pulte. And I used to be go in with the sales team towards the very end to help them close deals because we were typically selling to marketers or selling to like business development people. And like, you know, Lennar as an example, And I would come in and I would help tell them a story about how our customers use their product. And they wouldn't think I'm selling to them. I'm a thousand percent selling to you. I'm trying to get you to buy our stuff. It just, I wasn't a salesperson, so they didn't have the same connotation. And I remember, gosh, this was probably like 10 years ago. I remember head of the business unit, our GM said, you're the closer. You're like who we send in on these big deals to help the sales team closed. And I was like, don't tell people that, like, I'm going to have to do this all the time. <laughs> and but what I realized at that moment was like, he meant it as like a super big compliment because I do have this special knack for helping like disarm people and helping them, you know, I'm really authentic and I don't say anything. I don't passionately believe. Yeah. And it helped, it really helps. So I've just continued with that. Right. Like I've continued with helping the sales teams everywhere I've been 
And the first person, you know, when I joined Limavate four years ago, the first person I like befriended was like the head of sales. I was like, you and I are gonna be best friends. Like I need to know everything about you. I need to know how you, how you run sales. I need to know like what your process is. Tell me what, how you do things. And I think that's important because I didn't want to say like, this is how I've seen it done. I wanted to learn first how he was doing it. And then I wanted to quickly find ways that I could help. And if you do that, you get entrenched with the sales team really quickly. And I think that's part of the reason at Lumivate, you know, I was on almost every sales call for the entire four years I've been, right? Probably last like, well, two and a half, three years. Um, And listening in, helping, providing contacts, guidance, and because I wanted to be helpful. Even if I'm not an active voice in the conversation, I want to be able to hear what customers say or what prospects say. I want to figure out how we can get better at marketing, how we can get better at sales. And so I think, you know, 18 months ago when I, when our CEO approached me and said, what do you think about running the sales team? It made a lot of sense because I was already in the trenches with them every single day. So it wasn't like some like, like a scream emoji at that point. You're like, Oh my gosh. Or, or was it, was no. it a little bit of, it was a little bit of like, is this happening? Yeah. <laughs> like just a little bit. Cause I think, you know, for the myth I'm busting, I, I never thought a marketer could lead sales. Yeah. Because that's what I've been told. Right. I've been told right. that marketing can't lead sales. If you've never carried a bag, you don't understand sales. I've, there are very few people that have done it the other way. Um, and I've seen lots of, you know, chief revenue officers or chief sales officers that oversee marketing. So I just didn't realize it was possible. And now that I do, I think, you know, it's an opportunity for more marketers to step up. But like I said, there has to be a couple conditions to it. Not anyone can do it. Right. You got it. You, and, and I love that story you mentioned about working with the head of sales being BFFs. Uh, but mm-hmm. it's the approach, right? Because I think sometimes if you if you just straight up ask them before you've done the research, like, how can I help if they don't know marketing or they might just be like, um, I don't know, fix up, make us a flyer or something. More um, leads. Yeah. More leads. And can we have a website? Like, I don't know. So they'll just say almost like the little mm-hmm. tactical things because they don't necessarily know. So it's almost like consultative sales too, instead of mm-hmm. just being like, Hey, what can I help you with? You listen. So you went and you asked and I wrote down, you learned how he was doing it mm-hmm. so that you could figure out some things that, that could help things that maybe they didn't even know to ask for because you had been exactly learning. Yeah. Well, and that's part of it. Like what's your qualification process, right? Like everyone has different qualification processes, right? Like in, at the time um, he used medic, which is a, pr- a pretty popular one. So, right. Like, okay, tell me, but he also like did medic plus a couple of other letters. Medpick is Wait, what he used to call it. Did you say meta? Medic. Med- so cool. it's a- I only tell me which one. Tell me about that one because I've I've heard of like bands yeah. and stuff, but yeah. So medic is basically a sales qualification process where you know, like, right, the M stands for metrics of success, right? And it's things that you have to do in order to really qualify an opportunity. And it happens a lot more in enterprise sales. It's where you typically see it. Okay. But like. He was an experienced 20 year plus sales leader. And so he had medic and then he also added another PIC to it. And I was like, well, I've never heard about that. You're going to have to teach me, right? Like, which gives him an opportunity to, to teach me, yeah. um, which is a great way to get people to connect with you. Cool. But once I learned that, I learned what was important to him. 
right? I learned and I could start using the same vernacular, right? Like he would talk a lot about champions, right? Like we've got to, who's the champion of the deal. So my language was always around, okay, like what if when you identify champions, we do this? Or what if like you need to, you want to learn about metrics of success? What do we think about presenting it this way? Um, how can I really just help you understand and better do your job without trying to take all of my opinions and force them on you. And I got a lot of opinions, right? Um, Because at the same time I'm doing that and the marketing team that I'm leading within the first 30 days, I blew up their world, (laughs) right? Yeah. Which is different. I can do do that there, but with sales, (laughs) I I needed to partner with him, right? And I needed to- you come in with Thor's hammer, you know, and just smash, smash the China shop? I mean, yeah, well, here's the thing. I always tell people, you know, when anyone tries to recruit me for a role, if you want someone who is going to like sit for 90 days and listen, I am not your person. Mm. Like, right. I'm just not, if you like, if you're going to tell me that's your culture, like just, I'm just, I'm going to go crazy. You're not going to be happy. I'm going to be miserable. If like I, the most I can probably wait is like 30 days. And I'm still like, it's like me sitting on my hands. Cause I, by like a week or two, I have a pretty good idea of what we need to do and what needs to start changing. And if I, you know, and I've typically done my due diligence early on before right. I even consider the opportunities. So I know where your problems are. Um, it's just a matter of like figuring out how deep they are, how ugly they are, or, you know, where, what are the low hanging fruit? Yeah. What's the culture like and the team like, what can we move fast on? but I blow things up pretty quickly. And that's just been my mantra. It happens every job I take. Um, I come in kind of guns blazing and go from there and it doesn't stop. I always tell people, you know, I am, I run, I have one speed, it's fast. And it's kind of like a joke a little bit. And some people on my teams, teams in the past have heard me say this. It's like running fast with scissors, right? Like, and the reason why I say that it's like, because like, it's a little dangerous and you probably shouldn't do it. But most of the time it works out fine. Yeah. <laughs> right. Totally. But it's, it's constantly like, how can we figure out how to do things differently and better? I don't believe anything's ever done. So. I love that. I was, I was skiing really fast the other day and it was like, this is fast. Don't fall over. <laughs> like, it's be real bad if you fall. Right. But it was really real bad. Fun. Right. But it's really fun and we're getting there. <laughs> yeah. So, in, so you, with marketing, you, you have the confidence experience to you just go with the gut, do the due diligence, get going. With sales, you took a different tack and you were like, okay, let's I, learn. I did when I came in and I was like a partner with sales. Now, when I took over sales. Back to fast, back to scissors. Back, oh yeah, back to fast. Yeah, I'm sure sales was okay with that though, maybe. I don't they, know. Roll with it. I would say for the most part, like, yes, rolled with it. Um I do think though, you know, when you take over sales as a marketing leader previously, you're going to have people on the sales team that either think this makes a ton of sense and like are super excited because you've been with them all along. And then you're going to have some people that are like, you've like, you've not paid your toll, like the, your dues, right? You've not paid yeah. the tolls. You've not carried a bag. So it's going to be a little bit of both depending on the team. Um, but yeah, I think I remember my boss talked to me about it on a Tuesday and by like Thursday, I had like a five page plan of what we were going to do, all the things I was going to change. <laughs> Cause wow. I've been sitting there, right. For like two and a half years going, yeah, you, you've well, been, you've been with them. This, 
right? This is frustrating to me. I don't think we should do this. Um, I think this could be better. And sometimes, you know, you, those changes don't happen, not because I didn't suggest them before, but because they maybe were different style, leadership styles, different, you know, people on the team. So. Jeez. You know, what's really interesting. I made this little connection um, when you were talking about it, um, taking over sales and how some people were like, you didn't carry a bag. You know what the, the craziest thing, cause I, I, you know, I've hired sales managers and I've promoted them and uh, not every rep um, is a good sales manager. Not every, no, they're not. And it's actually a completely different job. It, mm -hmm. And so and it's a big trick though, because everyone feels like they need one that they want to climb the hierarchy and sales is a little different. Like you're out there hunting with your spear, you're getting all the accolades, you're, you're awesome and they can keep bumping up your numbers and your quotas and your, and your salary. Cool. Yep. But as soon as you take over the manager thing, you may not be the most paid person on the team. Which and, people don't realize. Yeah. They don't really. And the job's completely different. Now you're mm -hmm. like managing people to hit their own goals and you're not right. the rock star. They're the rock stars. You're facilitating. You're the puppet master. You're the encourager. And it really throws some, some sales reps for a loop because they thought they mm -hmm. could just swoop in and do the sales stuff, but they can't because the goal is not for them to be doing it anymore. It's for their team to be doing it. So it's such a mind game, but that totally ties into the fact where marketing, somebody comes from marketing, if they're really good at managing and hitting mm -hmm. goals and setting in metrics and numbers are not afraid of the revenue, it's a no brainer that they could run marketing if they're of that same personality type, because they don't, it's probably better that they weren't a sales rep. In some, in some yeah. regards, you know? Well, because a lot of times when people move up like that, like you were just saying, their inclination is to take over deals. Yes, right? yes. And that's like the worst thing you can ever do to a rep. Mm. Like I always tell my team, like, I don't want to run your deal. I will do whatever you need to be, like you need me to do, but it's, I have full faith in you, right? Um, and I think that, I've seen the opposite, right? Where sales leaders come in and they want to take over someone's deal because it's not going the way they thought it would, or it's not going as fast as they want it to, or they really need it for the quarter. And that's just demoralizing, honestly, to a lot of reps. Right. Cause it, you, you got preempted, you got yep. trumped or something. You just, it was your deal. And even if you close it, it's not really your deal. Yeah. Or if you didn't close it. <laughs> yep. Then it's definitely your, right? Like then it's not because your boss stepped in. It's because you didn't, you didn't it's, do a good job. Oh, geez. Oh, I get it. It's a, it's a, mm -hmm. it's a lose, lose. Yeah. Win, lose. I don't know. It's just not good when they step in like that. So yeah. And, and, and if you're coming from the marketing side, you understand the units in the process and mm -hmm. the steps that are taking and marketing's great at mapping up process and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. You're not going to get in their way. You're like, you're the salesperson. You're the, you're the rep. You're the hired, you know, you're the, the ninja here. Go for yeah. it. Like, let me know what, how I can help. If you don't know, let's get you training, but I'm not stepping in. Don't pass the buck over to me on this call. Yeah. Your call. Yep. Unless, unless you want to, right? Like I'm happy yeah. to do it if you want me to, but you've got this. Like, and I say that I think all the time, like you guys have got this, like I have full faith. And I think maybe everyone needs a little bit more faith in their team. Oh, totally. You got to trust the team more. Yep. You've got to do that. You know, it's like trust, trust, but verify, right? You're hitting your numbers. Cool. I got to stay out of the kitchen, out of the yes. whatever. Crazy. Speaking of kitchen, did you hear about Burger King? Oh, about their social media blunder? Yeah. Yeah. 
I'm so, I love everything I do from a marketing perspective. And then I saw that. Yeah. Oh, normally. Yes. Oh, tell me about this. So I'm obsessed with everything that they do and probably have been for a year and a half since like December. Oh gosh, that's not even two years. Um, it's since they did the Whopper detour. The Whopper detour. Yes. What was that about? Which was like the most brilliant marketing I've ever seen. So what they did was they had, didn't have a lot of people downloading their native mobile app, which is a separate rant I could go on on why you shouldn't have a native app. But anyways, they didn't have a lot of people using it. So they had this really great idea to do a promotion. And that's not crazy innovative, right? Like everyone does promotions. You get a coupon for downloading the app. But then they paired it with trolling McDonald's. So if you ordered a Whopper within 600 feet of a McDonald's, you got the Whopper for free. So they actually encouraged you to download their app, then go drive to McDonald's, like sit in their parking lot, order a Whopper, and then go to Burger King to pick it up. It was brilliant. It was absolutely brilliant. They had ridiculous numbers, right? Like, and then another one they did that I thought was, it was more in South America, um, specifically the Brazil team did it, is they used augmented reality in their app to like, you get like a Whopper for a penny if you went to like, a McDonald's ad or a Wendy's ad and held it up and it would actually in augmented reality catch the like the big flyer on fire and then reveal a whopper. So it once again like was trolling competitors. <laughs> it was just brilliant. It's what's crazy about their marketing prior to this recent blunder has been they've never done anything that I think is like crazy outlandish. It's always been taking ideas that people have always done and putting them together in different ways, right? Like mm. getting a Getting a promotion for downloading an app is not new. That's been happening for a decade. Yeah. Combining that with like having to be within 600 feet of your like number one competitor is a new spin on it. And it got people to do it, got people talking, got them a ton of press coverage. And it actually, because they've continued on with like similar concepts, it's actually driven brand loyalty for the first time. So they're not seeing what they, what a lot of brands see, which is, hey, you start using this, you download the app, you get a promo code and then you never use it again. Wow. They've actually seen continued engagement. And then they had the blender this week, which they've actually taken ownership for, which I love. Well, tell but, yeah. When we tell people about the blender and then I'd love to know what your thought on how, how affected were you by the blender? Yeah. So it was the Burger King UK team for international women's day, sent out a tweet that said a woman's place is in the kitchen. And I think like I, at first I was like, wait, what? Like, and then I clicked into it and saw that they had some subsequent tweets that, that explained that they believe more women should be chefs and that they were actually launching a scholarship to empower more women at Burger (laughs) King to go to culinary school, which is actually like really cool. That's super cool. However, they could have done, and my team, we actually talked about this because they all know I'm obsessed with Burger King and their marketing and um, their CMO there. And just, he's absolutely brilliant. Some of the stuff he's done. Have you met their CMO? I have not personally met him now. We're connected on LinkedIn. Does that count? You should get him on your podcast. I have, oh, I have tried. You tried? He, yeah, I, oh, I've tried numerous times. So one day. That's, that's the biggest gift. That's the goal, right? <laughs> I was so fangirl. It'll be so embarrassing. Seriously. Um, it really will. So but we were talking about on my team call earlier this week 
after it happened. And one of the things, you know, that we were all saying was it would have been better if they would have made it clear that it was a thread, right? Like, you know, like when some people do threads, they'll do like one of three and you know, it's a thread because what they were trying to get right was everyone to have like this outrageous, like response, which yeah. is what a lot of their marketing has been is like really to be different and bold. But the problem was like, and I, and I don't know, cause I didn't see it happen in real time. I saw it happen later. Like, I don't know how quickly the other tweets came out in succession, if they mm. were right away or if they were a couple hours, you know, spaced out, but if they would have done like one of three, then people would have been like, oh, okay. Like what the hell is this? Yeah. Right? Yeah. And even the, the clipping or the, the picture of the tweet that I saw online with, without that, if it had said one of three smart people would say, okay, well, what does chapter two and three say? Like, what are the, what, what else there's is said to that? Yeah, there's, yes. right. There's more to, you know, three simple little words or little tiny little digits would have, well, they probably still would have gotten a lot of heat and maybe attention that they, they wanted, but it would at least made it clear that, but I mean, they prepped they the scholarships in advance. What do you think about that kind of a tactic though? Like, and I know you're already a fan, so perhaps you're biased, but like in your biased opinion, is that, is that a good tactic? Would you do that at Lumivate or, you know? I wouldn't do it at Lumivate only because I think two reasons. One, I, it feels a little inauthentic. Yeah. And I think part of the reason is I hate when people like latch on to, it's like national pancake day or it's like whatever, right? Like, it yeah. feels like you're now tying your brand to something else that, you know, people are going to be talking about on social to make yourself part of the conversation. Yeah. Like news jacking. Um, so annoying. It, right. And I, it just, I don't like it. It, yeah. it just doesn't feel real, like authentic. I think the other part is I just think right now in the world that we're living in, brands have to be really careful around things tied to gender, right? Totally. Like and totally. I just don't know if like Burger King putting themselves in the conversation around like women's rights and where a woman's place is, even though like, I think they had really good intentions with like the scholarship program, like if that was the right choice or if they could have flipped it and said, you know, like I, if I was like overseeing their social media team in the UK, I would have said something like, love this concept what if we don't start with something that's going to be super inflammatory like what if we start with like a stat around like women's chefs and how they're because what they're trying to call attention to is a problem that exists so if they would have said you know like there's only x percent of women chefs in the uk like this is not like we believe that like, this is a problem. Like that would have been a really cool way to have yeah. gotten the same thing, the same concept. And it would have inflamed people and they could have still told their story. Um, and I think you it would know, have like, felt even- Tweet one, right? Tweet one yeah. of three said that. Tweet two of three said something else. We've launched a scholarship, put our, exactly. our money where our mouths are at. Number three, belong in the case. So if it said three, like I, to your point, yeah, just a more to it, mm -hmm. substance. More or like, I think like tweet one was like women belong in the kitchen and like tweet two is like, if they want to, and then it explained more. And I was like, why wasn't the, if they want to like on the first part, right? Uh, like, well, I guess another question, counterpoint, like why, why are uh, clearly because, because it wasn't like, you know, there was that Ford tweet a long time ago. 
Do you remember like mm-hmm. somebody accidentally tweeted like Detroit is the auto capital of the world and why can no one effing drive, you know? Yeah. And it actually was like on Ford or Chrysler's Twitter. It was like their social media rep and they're like, you're fired. But like well, that's this, an accident, you know? Um, that's an accident. Well, and yeah. the funny thing that you yeah. say about that, I tell people all the time, the only time a marketing emergency happens is if someone does something dumb on social media. Like otherwise there are not, marketing emergencies don't exist. Interesting. Or, right? or, connect, or if the lead, the lead connection is gone or where, like where are my leads at? Or, or if an email goes out, yeah, I can find some for you. If an email yeah. goes out, and says something dumb or it says high first name because they forgot a, per, a percent yeah, it's not an emergency though you're right it's not an emergency, it's not an emergency. <laughs> i stand corrected it's not i mean you should fix it but it's yeah. not an emergency you look like, dumb maybe but it's not like a, call the pr people because we just correct it's not like yeah. stop what you're doing at 10 o'clock at night and get on your computer yeah so but but is it is it tasteless i mean i just saw this with like blog oh they're tasteless tweet they apologize why are they, why are they apologizing? Maybe that maybe it's all I, part of the game. I don't know. I think, I mean, I know their CML came out and apologized. Um, and I, I think it was the right thing to do be, only because I think they realized like they had good intentions and people took it the wrong way. Yeah. And they've done lots of really bold stuff before that but has you knew they, people. They knew they would take it the wrong way. I don't think they did. I really don't. They, they had I think to they know were surprised. in a I, well, I, UK way that they were, they were totally hope. being like without the scholarship, they would be totally burned to the ground. So it's like yeah. they knew they were being cheeky, right? No, I think they knew that. I think they knew they were being cheeky. I don't think they thought people would take it the way that they did. I think they thought it would drive like, oh, let me like click in and see the rest of the tweets or like it would drive conversation. Kind of like Wendy's, right? Like Wendy's on Twitter, they're hilarious. And a yeah. lot of times they say stuff that drives conversation, but it doesn't create like this substantial backlash. It, right. And I think that's what they were walking that fine line, right? I think they thought, oh, it's going to drive conversation and then people are going to be interested in what we're doing. I don't think they realize people are going to be like, are you freaking kidding me right now? Yeah, it's like their first day on Twitter. They don't realize how toxic it can get. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, that's so true. Have you, have you seen that movie Chef? I have not. Oh my gosh, you totally have to see this movie. Um, okay. It it's really good. I'm looking up here. It's just called Chef. It's on Netflix right now. Oh, it's 2014. No kidding. Um, John Favreau. Uh, okay. Really, really good movie. He's a, he's a chef, and um, he gets in some spats with uh, this food critic, and his his um, his son hooks him up with Twitter. No, I'm not gonna spoil the whole movie, but Long of the short, the critic says something and John writes back to him, right? Re- replies to it. Yeah. And basically calls him every name under the sun and it basically burns him. But he thinks it's a private message. He thinks it's a DM. Oh, sweet. But instead, he at tweeted this food critic who retweeted it and started a feud back and forth with him. And then in the morning, his son was like, you have like. 30,000 retweets and he's like what's that mean like everyone saw you say this and so it's almost like John Favreau is like on UK's Twitter that'd be a great meme where he's like oops did I do that I didn't think <laughs> I did it again like, yeah man that's funny I'll well, check that out because I've, I've talked to um uh actually Brandon Roten who was the the sarcastic Wendy's Twitter guy 
And, yeah. and he, he just burns Burger King because he's like, what do they stand for? Mm-hmm. So if I were to ask you, like, what, what do they do? You, the un- overall brand, like they have these really interesting tactics for better or worse, but like, what, what does that brand mean to you in terms of its identity? Oh, that's a great question. Um, well, what's funny about this whole thing is I don't even eat at Burger King. Right? Isn't that funny? <laughs> I don't even eat, like, I don't eat fast. I, ha- I have a gluten allergy, so I don't even eat fast food. Oh, gee. Um, so not, right, not so, even you don't, but like you, you don't and couldn't and you wouldn't and shouldn't and yes. got it. Um, but obsessed with Burger King. I, I think it's kind of like their king mascot. Like what does he stand for? Yeah. I really just think it's about like being different and unique, okay. right? Like a different way of doing things, right? Like, and I think if you look at how they talk about how they cook their food, where their food comes from, the stuff that they've done with like plant-based um, items earlier than everyone else. I think they're saying like, we're the, we're the different fast food plays. Um, and we're a little bit like kooky. And I think that appeals to a lot of people. Right. Um, but yeah, I, I think the last time I had Burger King was probably like 17 years ago before I found out I had a gluten allergy. Jeez. Is it bad where if you like snuck in a Whopper, it'd be like a bad day? Oh, I'd be like violently ill. Oh, geez. Well, you don't want to do that then. Well, they came out with a plant-based. I'm sure they'll come out with a gluten they haven't already done like a gluten-free burger or anything? No, and then you have to worry about like the bun, cross-contamination. Cross yeah. yeah, not worth it. Not worth it. I will say that Whopper is pretty tasty. So, so all this bad marketing yeah. notwithstanding. What were you going to say? Well, I was going to say, what's funny is if you didn't know that about me, I am obsessed with McDonald's Coke. <laughs> so I Wait, have very- what? Like obsessed with McDonald's and their Coke. Really? Because of- Yes. So it's, if you ever see me sometimes, probably twice a week, I have a McDonald's Coke and I don't buy anything else at McDonald's, but I will go and pay a dollar eight for a McDonald's Coke because they have the best mix, the right straw size, and they refrigerate their wines. So it really is like the, the and you can Google this, like the best fountain Coke on the market. So you said they have the best, best mix. So the mix yes. of syrup to water ratio. Yes. They have Perfect. the right straw size. This is interesting. Yes. And then they refrigerate the lines that come from the different sources. Like, uh-huh. Wow. Google it. There's like articles and all kinds of stuff on it. It's real serious. Um, so McDonald's Coke. Okay. Go ahead. So what's funny about it, about Burger King is I won't even go get like a Coke at Burger King because they have the, what are, what's it called? The little, um, the machines where you get to pick your flavor. Yes. I hate those. Why? Okay. Because like they have like 60 flavors. Yeah. Whatever. Like if you're like, I want a Coke, you know what happens? I get like a Coke plus whatever the person before me had. <laughs> and it tastes like crap. They're backwash. <laughs> They're exactly. And I'm like, why does this taste like a Sprite Coke? Like, oh, right. so it's, it's, it's not freestyle. the pure thing. Yeah. It's the freestyle machines. I will not go to a place with a freestyle machine. Whoa freestyle machine yeah interesting i mean i always kind of figured it sort of like well just don't have your cup under it right away right but then i guess you're no, wasting. It's still there it's still in the it's still in the line okay. you want a dedicated mm-hmm. line it's like you wouldn't do that with beer i don't know if they do no, would you you shouldn't yeah, you shouldn't like you get you wanted this other thing and you got an ipa in it as well you know um that'd be kind of weird um exactly. gluten-free beer is that a thing yeah it's not good not good Mm-mm. Got to stick to the potato vodka or something. 
Yeah. Stick to the wine. Wine. Boom. Sold. Yeah. Sold. Fascinating conversation. I'm I'm really curious. You you observe things. You you see and analyze mm-hmm. and you take charge. Who are you? Who are you? Can you take me back in time to like little Stephanie days? Did you always know you're gonna be like boss woman of sales and marketing and like throwing down the gauntlet telling you know, do you walk into a sales meeting you're like the leads are good i know because i got them for you <laughs> close them down boys and girls <laughs> no okay none of those things none. um none of those things i if you probably as a kid i was i don't think different just different than my siblings. Um, I love to read. So like, I was like the kid in the eighties who always got her personal pan pizza from book it. And they'd have like, you know, a hundred, like, could you read a hundred books? And I was, and I was the person that's like, yeah, I could read 200. Um, wow. so I've always taken like a challenge and then, and taken it to like the nth degree. I've been that way since I was born. I'm a firstborn. So there's a little bit of, of that. I think just being a firstborn, other firstborns get it. So I always, you know, totally. wanted to do different things. Like I, gosh, like when I was a little kid, I thought I wanted to be a teacher. I used to make my brother and sister play school with me and grade, like grade their papers. They wow. hated it. Oh, they so hated it. <laughs> um, like during the summer, I was the kid that was like, could I like do worksheets? <laughs> wow. Like, Cause I just love to learn. Um, I also happened to be, we didn't know and teach. Um, I happened, didn't know this at the time, but I used to not like to go outside a lot when I was little. And we found out when I was 16 that I'm actually allergic to like 24 different environmental things. So I'm kind of like quasi allergic to outside, um, which makes more sense now because I was not the kid that like wanted to go play in the backyard and all that stuff. Yeah. Um, Everything's itchy. <laughs> right? I was I like, I just would not feel good afterwards yeah. and stuff. Um, and it's funny, my, when my, I've been married, about 17 years now. Wow. And my husband's parents, they knew I was allergic to a lot of things outside. And it wasn't until we'd been married probably like six or seven years and we we're doing family photos outside. And I think they thought like me saying I'm allergic to grass was like what you say when you don't want to mow. Oh no. <laughs> and I fell down. Like I tripped on something and I fell on the grass and literally in like three minutes I was covered in hives and they were like, oh shit, you're serious. And I'm like, yeah. How many years in was that? <laughs> Six or seven. Six or seven. They're like, like, we thought yeah. you just didn't want to take photos. <laughs> or like, you just didn't want to do like yard work. And I'm like, no, I like, I'm legit allergic to grass. <laughs> right. So I thought you were going to be like, oh, and then they took us all camping that year. <laughs> in the well, spring. prior, uh, we could talk about that separate story and law stories. But um, like the time my mother-in-law, who I love dearly, gave me a rabbit fur sweater this is before she realized like when I said I'm allergic to all these things I like legit mean it and it was like our first or second Christmas and I told my husband I was like is she trying to kill me like if I wear this like I'm gonna like break out in hives and die wow. and she just didn't like didn't register right yeah because she they've not had anyone in their family that's been that allergic to anything right yeah so. and there's different scales of it and so yeah yeah and- there's the super serious scale where it's like, no, I'm not even kidding. I'm not being like super sensitive. It's like when people like just decide, you know, they, they feel healthier without gluten. Yeah. Right. Versus like, 
celiacs or people who are like, uh-uh, like this is not me just being like coy here. I'm like, like that. I've gotten that with waiters sometimes too. When I when I went out with someone who was like was a serious allergy, yep. it's like, okay, if you need to get the manager or the menu or something, oh, when they have a gluten free menu, you're like sweet. But like you're like, do you quite understand the serious? Like I don't want to have like an EMT come to this table. We just want to make sure that everything's cool here, uh, you know. Yeah. And when they're really serious about it, you're like good. But when they kind of like are, oh yeah, yeah, sure, yeah, no problem. You're like, okay, don't. Don't mess around here, man. I still, honestly, even to this day, when they bring food to my table and I, it looks like too good to be gluten-free, I'll make yes. my husband taste it. I'm like, is this gluten-free? And he's like, yeah, it's real good too. And I was like, okay. okay. <laughs> or if I take a bite of something and I'm like, this tastes really good. Can you make sure it's like gluten-free? He sounds magic. How does he know? Can you just, can you tell what gluten tastes like? Oh, there's a big difference between gluten-free food and non-gluten-free food. Yeah. There's a big difference. Yeah. So, especially like when it comes to bread or like pastas and stuff, like there's a very big difference. Like probably even this, how, how solid it is, right? How much it stays together usually. The yeah. How dense it is. Um, yeah. Just the, like the texture of it. That's a good thing then if you got the ones that are just like super tasty and you're like, this, I feel like I'm breaking the law here. This is good. But then I, but then also sometimes I'll eat something like this is the best thing I've ever had. And my husband will eat it. He's like, this is not good. Like, I was like, but I've not had real like bread for a decade. Like, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> this is like the best I've had. Yeah. <laughs> so it's funny because I'll just be like, stop telling people that was good. And I was like, but it was to me. Yeah. So it's like when you've had a gluten-free muffin where they didn't try hard. <laughs> yeah. A lot of things are better than that. <laughs> So. man so 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 you're growing up like that and then eventually you're going to school mm -hmm. going english poli sci what was the thought well a lawyer so no i thought i wanted to be this is crazy a newspaper reporter okay like back in the 90s like that was like a job that people yeah. had right you mean back um, was respectable exactly right <laughs> and we're they weren't firing news you know news staffs all the time and everything hadn't moved online yet so I actually went to college thinking I wanted to be a newspaper reporter and I did a semester on the college paper and I was like, this sucks. Yeah. This tough. I just didn't, I didn't love it. I didn't, I mean, I didn't love staying up to like 3am on like production nights. I mean, I enjoyed the team and hanging out with them, but I just didn't yeah. love it. I wasn't passionate about it. And so then it was kind of like at the same time I went to a conference in New York with college for it was like a big advertising conference and I kind of fell in love with this idea of like advertising PR um and back then like in the 90s I went to a liberal arts school like the marketing there was a marketing department kind of in business but it was very different it was very much like you know like what are the four p's it didn't actually teach you how to do yeah. marketing so a lot of what I would tell you, like marketing really what is right around design and copywriting and all that stuff was in the journalism school still. Yeah. Um, so that's why I went add PR. And then I'm a, I love to learn. And I was like, oh, well, I want to take English classes because I like English and I like to read. So I did that. And then I was like, oh, well, if I only have to take like four more classes and then I could get like a minor in rhetoric. And if I took like this, I could get a poli sci degree too. So I decided to do that. No kidding. So it was like a dual major or du a double or triple, triple major <sighs> with a minor four yeah. years. No, no summer school. 
Dude, see, I did a yeah. I did a dual major, not even double. It was like two BS and a BA. I thought I yeah. was pretty badass, but like a triple. Now yeah. I I had a thing. I I always wanted to do this. I didn't do it for graduation. Um, was one a BS and one a BA? No, all of them were bachelors of arts because they were all like, okay. We're, see, yeah, I had a BS and a BA, and I was gonna like get two hoods, cut them oh, in half, have. and then sew them together. Be like, that would be fancy. what's up, prof? <laughs> exactly. They're like, what are you doing? Oh, I can't wait. Oh, you're graduating. Thank God. <laughs> so, wow. Okay. So you just, th mm -hmm. there's that thing you're saying earlier about seeing a challenge and just taking it to how, what could I, you know, looking at all the classes, what could I get out of this? And so you got all those different degrees mm -hmm. and you knew it was, wasn't going to be journalism. And you had this thing, the advertising was really, mm -hmm. did you just launch right into that after school? Um, yeah, kind of, sort of, yeah. um, my first job was at a customer loyalty like firm okay. and I did some things in like kind of like the graphics department and then moved into brand management after about a year. And looking back, like that's the role, like they let me redo their entire brand. I was like 24. Wow. Like looking back, I'm like, that, like, were you crazy? Um, but I just like, I take something and I, I don't know how not to go all in on it. Right. So like we were talking about doing it. So like, I remember like back when I used to go to bookstores, right. Like I went and bought like four books about like how to like redo brand and read them and like highlighted them and had little tabs in my book and came up with a plan. And my boss who was the SVP of marketing was like, okay, wow. you run this. Wow. And it was very, it was really cool. It was a huge opportunity for me, but I think that's how I, I've really been that way throughout my entire life is when I see something I'm interested in, I can't not go like super deep. I have to figure out every aspect of it. I have to learn as much as I can about it. Um, and then I have to do it. <laughs> yeah, geez. Uh, you, you just had all these opportunities. Do you, mm -hmm. Were you thrown into them? Were you stepping up to the plate? Were you kind of saying I could do this? Or were people just giving you kind of pushing you out of the nest a little bit um probably a combination of both of both so i think part of it is i always liked i don't know how to function if i am not overwhelmed so like i have to have like a ton of stuff on my plate or i'm kind of like what do i do i only have 10 things to do so part of it is i'm always looking for other things to take on okay um i i feel like i work best when i have a lot going on yeah. I think the other part is a little bit luck, right? Um, I learned a lot about digital because in my first job, you know, we're talking like 2003, not every company had a website. Yeah. Right. Sure. Like social media was just starting. And a lot of times, you know, people that graduated around that, that time frame got to take on digital because we were the young ones, right? Like you're young, go figure out this Facebook thing, go figure this out, go figure this out. Yeah. So I kind of lucked into it a little bit as well um, with opportunities to learn. And I've always just been curious, you know, what others are doing and how we can take that idea and make it work for our brand or how, you know, we can maybe not take that idea exactly, but take that concept and tweak it to work for our model. Jeez. And now you're just crushing it. Sales and marketing just right there in the title. Trying to do, trying to do it all. And yeah. Kind of paving the way for marketing take over sales watch out sales we're coming we're coming yep
We're coming for you. That's it. I'm going to hold you accountable to the process. But I loved marketing has that such that big picture view. And I mm -hmm. love sales has a focus on like the here and now. It's like, cool. I love that you're thinking about Q4, but I need to survive Q1. So I got to yep. close now. So it's like the, the, it's like the now and later candy combined mm -hmm. into one. Um, have you, and are you, are you able to switch back and forth, you know, in your position? Cause it marketing is very much that sort of testing for the long term and, and, or bigger picture. And then sales is so focused. How, are you able to kind of go back and forth? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I am. I think, every, and that's what I like about my job is every day is different. Yeah. Every day is, you know, for instance, you know, like yesterday we were working on, I was working with the marketing team on a couple of different things that are like, Hey, we're trying to get something out really, really fast. Yeah. And test out a new concept. And then I also can, you know, on the same token, have a conversation about a large enterprise brand that we're talking to that we've been working for a long time about how we should think about what's next for them, right? Which is a lot more methodical. It's a, you know, we're not trying to change things really quickly or move things along really fast. So it's it's fun. It's a good balance of, you know, feeling like everything's on fire and feeling like you have time to plan. Right. So which some people like that and some people hate that. I love it. And it's like, you're not even working, right? Like if you yeah. love what you do, you we were saying that at the very beginning, if you love what you do, man, it's like you're, you're playing all day. It's, it's so cool. Yeah. Hypothetical question for you. Okay. I may or may not have a time machine here in Nashua, New Hampshire. Okay. Um, and let's say I do and post COVID come visit, get some lobster and I'll let you use the yeah. time machine and okay. you know, brush off the acorns and whatever. Um, you get to use this. It's a special time machine. It goes back to a particular time and place. It, you get to see okay. yourself. You get to visit yourself a couple days after that undergrad, triple degree graduation. Yeah. Um, what kind of advice would you give yourself knowing all the things you've been through, the people you've met, the places mm -hmm. you've been, the companies you've been at, and the jobs you've done, all those things. What kind of things would you tell yourself? I think um, the two things. So one is kind of funny. It would be Hi, when you start working at Exact Target and then Salesforce buys you and then you leave Salesforce, don't sell your shares, hold on to them longer than you <laughs> think because you'll regret it. Right. I know you think that like $70 a share was really great. Well, now they're at over 200. So right. way to go. Um, so I think that would be like number one. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, don't cash them out for a vacation. Right. And then the second one would really be about You know, I, it's hard to describe it, but it, I really realized this. It was about 10 years ago. I used to be just kind of like the polite girl, right? And what I mean by that is, you know, I would speak up and I'd have opinions, but if no one listened to them, I just kind of let it go. Um, I would ask for permission, not forgiveness. And one day I was at Ingersoll Rand, I was sitting in a meeting and I swear I said, you know, I had been suggesting this idea that we should do for probably like six months at the time. And then someone else in the room said the exact same thing. And everyone thought it was a good idea. Oh, geez. And I about like lost my mind. And I went home that night and I was like, that's it. I'm done. And not like done there, but like, I'm done waiting for someone to tell me that I can do my job, waiting for people to like, give me permission to test out what I want to do. And I think part of that is I was young in my career, right? I was like five or six years into my career at the time. Part of it's because I'm a woman and women tend to be a little bit more worried about that. We don't feel like we can always 
be as vocal or as um, direct or maybe as aggressive as like maybe like a male counterpart can be sometimes in the workforce. But from that moment on, I just started saying, I think this is why I've grown so much in my career. Like I know what I'm doing. And until someone tells me to knock it off, I'm just going to do what I think is best. And so I would start, and I think if you look at my time at Lumivate, it kind of makes sense. You know, back then I started saying, well, here's some problems and maybe they're in my area, maybe they're not. And I might mention them once to someone like, hey, like this is in your area, this is a problem. I think we could fix it this way. And if they don't take me up on it or they don't do anything, I just start doing it until someone tells me to knock it off. And guess what? No one ever tells you to knock it off when you do great work. And, you know, if you look at, you know, where I've been, especially the last four years, I came in a, to lead marketing and then I took over sales and then I took over customer success and support. And then I took over product management. And all of that was because I saw opportunities in each of them and saw ways that we could do it better. I suggested them. No one let, and it's not that no one listened. It's just that maybe that wasn't a priority at the time. And so I just started doing it. And then at some point it got better and people realized, well, maybe it makes sense for Stephanie to lead all of this. And that's what I would tell you. Like, I wish I would have realized that sooner in my career because I think I would have been happier earlier on in my career. I think I would have been able to do much more and it would have helped me grow even faster. And it's something I tell young talent all the time. You know, you you were hired for a reason. Like someone that hired you believes that you have this talent and you can do, you should do your job the best way you think you can. And chances are no one's going to tell you to knock it off. Like there's a couple of things you could do, right? Like posting something inappropriate on social media on the company account. Don't do that. <laughs> right. Um, but even, but everything else for the most part, like what's the worst thing that can happen? Marketing is not about saving lives, right? Like no one's going to likely die because your, you know, email campaign didn't go well. <laughs> Right. So, man, thank you so much for, I mean, you could tell that like, that was really, you really considered that and yeah, such a, I, I can, you, when you, you mentioned that meeting, it's just like, oh, what a turning mm -hmm. point. I mean, what a terrible gift it was to, yeah, because there's no way you can possibly then be like, guys, I've literally been saying this for like six months and like, what is she talking about? Like, it, well, it just, you know, what's funny. Did you I try that, that now? Oh, I didn't say it then. Oh, I was too scared. Yeah. But like now if I say something and like, I don't get heard and then someone else says it later and I'm, I literally will say, yeah, they'll, if someone's like, you know, what do you think? I'm like, that's a great idea. I, it was a great idea when I said it two months ago. Like I, <laughs> Hell and I yeah. don't do it to be like an ass. I just do it. Like, yeah, I agree with it because I've already said it. Like, I want people to realize that, you know, maybe you just came around to it or maybe you think it's your own new idea, but like, that's something that I've already previously said. And I think if more people felt empowered to do that and say that, you know, not every idea has to be my idea. Um, but I do feel like it's really important to give credit where credit's due for people that do have great ideas, um, yeah. regardless of, you know, when you may implement them. So I always try and remember like with my team, whenever they bring something up, because sometimes now is not the right time. Um, that, you know, when we do it, like to call them out, like this was their idea. And yes, we didn't do it two months ago when they had it, but we're doing it now because of them. Cause I think that's really important. Yeah. And even if it's kind of awkward bringing it up at the moment, it's important because you're standing up for yourself. Exactly. Yeah. And that, that has a ripple effect 
across everything. So it, it needs to happen. Champion mm-hmm. for yourself. That's the thing. Like no, no one's going to champion for you more than you. Like even if you have like yeah. an amazing mentor and all these people, like no one is there to do that. And I've had friends that, you know, I'd, you know, a friend that went, got an MBA and never championed mm-hmm. for himself. And so for a long time was in the same job he had when he was still in college as an undergrad. Like he just, yeah. it didn't stick up for himself. And another friend stuck up for himself too much and was like, just the doors were opening, but it's cause he was just yeah. sticking up for himself and pushing and, and just mm-hmm. crazy to see the differences there. But yeah, that's, that's awesome. So good, man. Are we gonna be, are we gonna throw on some uh, some TV after this? I know you like to uh, throw on the TV. Any uh, any shows I should be checking out? Um, I am currently rewatching The West Wing. Okay. Um, yeah, I haven't seen West Wing. I that needs you need to rectify that. I need it's to on rectify HBO that. Max. I'm kind of a laggard, um, so like I started watching Lost when the final season started, and I was like, I have never seen Lost. You need to rectify that situation. I know, <laughs> but I know everyone keeps telling me I need to, but I just haven't got into it yet. Um, but no, right. I love, I love the West Wing. Um, I was a big fan of it when cool. it first came out years ago, but I, I think there's just a lot. So the president in it, which is Martin Sheen, he yeah. says a lot, like what's next. And that's kind of like, I had to say that all the time. Like what's next? Like we did that. Like what's next? What are we doing next? Um, this idea that you're never done. Iteration is never done. There's always a way we can improve it. So, wow. So you're actually like extracting some cool wisdom from mm-hmm. the character. That's that's cool when the characters are so well done that you're actually learning from them at the same time. Exactly. Versus like House of Cards, where you're learning like what not to do. <laughs> oh, don't worry. I watch a bunch of trash TV too. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So, we all have to. I always tell my kids like reality TV, soap operas, all that stuff. Like the best part about them is that no matter how bad something is in your life right now, it is worse for someone on one of those shows. 100%. So like, you can always feel better about life. Like if you watch like reality TV. Oh yeah. I, lo- I love eating like a big bowl of nachos while watching Survivor while they're eating rice, you know? Right? They're, they're just, I, like starving. I, there's, right? But then I tell my kids like, well, you don't remember season one, they didn't even give them rice. Really? Right, like way back. Yeah. They didn't used to do that. They just had to catch it. Yeah. If you don't catch like, it. That was survivor. Like if you go back to like season one, season two, like they didn't get any of that stuff. I can't remember yeah. when they started giving them rice and like, actually like, like sustenance to survive. Right. I assume like a lawyer made them do it. But like back yeah. in, originally 20 years ago, they didn't, they didn't do that stuff. So I'm dying for survivor to come back though. I cannot wait for the, like, cause they've, it's been what a year off now. Yeah. So it's a long time. It's an interesting, it's a really interesting show. You can get kind of pulled in, especially with the kind the of characters they have and yep. Boston Rob or whoever it might be. And you're just My like favorite. Yeah. Yeah. But we watch yeah. with the kids. They yeah, there's it. like heroes and villains and all these different themes. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you know what? It's, it's a, one of the longest running reality shows do you have like one that you, like it's embarrassing that you really like? Oh gosh, probably. No one's listening um, to the podcast, so you don't have to worry about it. <laughs> no, I like there's, I'm trying to figure out like which one to pick, to be honest. Yeah. Okay, you can throw um, a couple out. I'll tell you mine. I was, too. for a while, I don't watch it anymore, but prior to like COVID, I was obsessed with Married at First Sight, 
which is like what, what? have you seen that like when people no, but... oh, oh it's me. crazy so basically what happens i think it's on tlc i can't remember anyways but basically what happens is a bunch of men and a bunch of women apply and these matchmakers counselors match them together and then you meet for the first time at the aisle and you get legally married so you get married at first sight and then you have to like stay together for eight weeks and they film it and it is like the biggest train wreck that i've ever watched and it is amazing television does it <laughs> it's ever like, work yes it does like that's what's crazy is there's always usually like every season there's like one couple that stays together like and not just stays together like after the show like literally stays together like there have been you know ones that have kids and all kinds of stuff so like it there's like science it's interesting because there's science to it right there's people yeah. that do all these behavior tests about you to figure out like what kind of person you really need so they try so it's not just like blatantly not a fit at all they they no. really try the best to keep you together yeah. otherwise you bounce you know, day three you're like i don't care i'm out and there are times where that happens but it's like a hot it's a hot mess and um <laughs> something it about is, hot messes on tv is just <laughs> it's just great well and it's like i'm always just curious like about like the psychology of like what made yeah. you want to decide to do this Me like too. how would you re like why did you think that was okay to get married at first like, why did you assume it would go well <laughs> like right. i just lost the questions um so that's been like one of my ones I used to absolutely love. Um, I haven't watched though since like COVID. It's been, it just got a little bit different like with the filming of it. Yeah. Mine's very similar to yours. So um, you've probably seen this one too, Temptation Island. I haven't watched it yet. Oh my gosh. We'll totally, we'll swap, right? So I'll watch that one. I'll let you know. Temptation Island started season one it, in in the concept. And uh, are you familiar with the concept or? Yeah, because didn't it, didn't they used to have it like a long they, time ago? They did. It was like some. Okay, 90s. I watched it back then in the nineties. Yeah, and if you whatever. look back, the, the quality it's okay. It's interesting. It's okay, but it's kind of the cheesy. You know, it's the nineties, but they've yeah. re, redone it. Um, but I think it's is it like Mark Wahlberg? I think, yeah. Oh, see, I need to watch it then. Oh yeah, but he does. Is it Mark? I'm gonna get it wrong. I think it is. Um, yeah, yeah, it's him, and he's so good. But it the the premise for those listening and i'm sorry if you wanted marketing this is marketing for you this is brand um is they have uh, eight couples eight couples who um are have been together for a while and they volunteer yeah. to come to temptation island where they're basically tempted and so they they put the girls in one house and the guys in another but living in the house with them are like 15 people of the opposite sex so all the girls are in one house and, all, and you know, they bring in all these like models yep. and, and, and on the other side, all these gals are in there, but, but they actually kind of like with the, um, the hot mess of the married at first sight, they really think of, are thinking about who would be the perfect person for this person. And, and they have videos, of this one gal being like, you know, complain, actually complaining about her boyfriend on the prep video saying like, he's kind of city and I just really want a country boy. No kidding dirt bike riding country boy, country from boy Mississippi's there. And he's like, what's up girl. You know, like it, so they, they had all these particular yep. people picked out your, your ideal, you know, hair color, everything they're there. And you have to live together for like, I think it's over a course of a month. And then you have to pick someone to go on dates with, but your, your, your um, partner can 
block someone so you can't go on dates with them but as soon as they block them now they wear a necklace it's the same color necklace that you have and so you hang out at the house instead and naturally there's open bar and all these amazing and it's in hawaii right it's on some island in hawaii in this a is like with yeah beautiful people and you're just like it's so you mentioned the psychology that's totally the thing that mm -hmm. that that I was all about because I was like, you know what? Like, why would you do this? And for the most part, I don't think they're that bright. Then they choose that. But at the same time, maybe it was something where they had some, some suspicions or they had some concerns and they didn't know how to maybe express them. So they're like, let's just do this. And see what happens. And what or you they wanted a free vacay. Free yeah, but free vacay. But <laughs> yeah. you know, but to your point, some people stay together. Some yeah. people don't stay together. Oh, oh, and at the end of each week, they show, end of each episode too, they show um, your your girlfriend, boyfriend, uh, a video clip of you, what you did that week. Oh. And it's only a 15 second clip or a 10 second clip. So you could have been on your best behavior, but some gal like joins you in the hot tub and is like trying to be all over you. And you're like, no, 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 I got a girl girlfriend. But no, but they clip it however they want to clip it so that yeah. all that person sees is you being like totally not not faithful. And so then what are they going to do to respond? And yeah. and you can't talk to each other. They take your phones. Ah, so You're separated. So anyways. I'll have to add that to the list. Yeah, and I, I will too because it sounds like this merit for a sight. Can't imagine the prenup paperwork on that one. <laughs> right? No. And their families come like you have to, I just... I have so many questions. Their fam. Oh my gosh. I wouldn't do that. Mm -hmm. At least well, you, you have a whole wedding. Either. Yeah. Like bridesmaids, everything. Like your family. Like I'm, it's legit. It's a legal marriage. It's like, it's like Jerry Springer times 10. Like it is, <laughs> but you get to watch it like as it happens. Okay. I got, I'm going to so. check it out. I got to check it out. It's so good. Um, Wow. Very good. Well, Hey, where can people connect with you? throw out the podcast, throw out some URLs, social platforms. Yep. This has been so much fun. I'm sure people are like, sign me up for more of this, less of this Casey thing, more of this other person. So how do they, how do they get you 24 seven? Yeah. So I have a podcast, real marketers where everywhere you can find podcasts. Um, you can hit me up on LinkedIn, Stephanie Cox on Twitter, Stephanie Cox zero four. I'm on all the socials except for the TikTok because I just can't get into that. So <laughs> just can't just even just with can't. COVID, just can't can't get there. I can't get there. Totally. And we'll put all these links uh, down below in the the notes for people to click on through. But yeah, I definitely want to check out the podcast. Do you have any cool interviews coming up that we should take a peek for, or uh, ones you just done? Yeah, we've had a couple of really good ones. Um, one that we recently done is about being a marketing team of one. That oh, has gotten nice. some really great, good traction because I think people don't realize you hear all the stories about people that have these large marketing teams and they don't realize there's a lot of people out there where they're the only person and they're doing it all. And what is it like? How do you think about getting resources? So I think that was one of my favorite ones. I think we've gotten a ton of great feedback about that or all these people are like, I feel seen. <laughs> I'm like, you're not alone. Yeah. So. It's and it's a different beast. You don't have a huge team to fall back on. And sometimes it can feel kind of isolated. So it's good to it can. be around other marketers. Hey, you got some good people on there. Justin Keller. He's he's such yes. a good dude. He is. We such we rant dude. about leads. So oh, I'm I love sure to, you did. I love to rant about leads. Oh, and uh Christoph Trapp, another another mm -hmm. amazing dude. And then all these other people that I don't know. I gotta 
got to meet them. This, this is awesome. Stephanie, thank you again. Like this has been so much fun today. Yeah, my pleasure. So much fun. And for those people listening, this has been the hardcore marketing show. We will catch you all next time. <laughs>